switched up. Fan was looking down on me. Now I'm up. Wish you would've stuck with me. Now you stuck. Cause somebody else hating every time I look up. Can't keep me down. What up, though? It's your man, Tariq Aha, back for another episode of Wild Out with Tariq, the most unapologetic podcast in the game. And y'all already know what time it is. I'm about to turn it up on you niggas like my part coming. Listen, I've been off for a minute. I know y'all been waiting, been waiting, been waiting. I've been promising y'all that I'm going to get back, but your boy is all the way back now. No more BS, all the way back. Fuck that job. I'm back. Dropping, hitting y'all with weekly motherfucking episodes, and I got a banger for y'all. This one gonna be long. This one gonna be longer than my usual hour, so we might be here a minute. You know what I'm saying? But I got a lot of notes. I got a lot of information that I'm gonna give to y'all, and I'm gonna jump right the fuck into it, right? So, uh, and this this episode is uh, especially revel- relevant right now uh, due to all the shit that's going on with Tupac. You feel me? The the Keefy D nigga, the gang culture. West Coast, I know Pac ain't die in L.A., he died in Vegas, but all them niggas was from L.A. and on some L.A. shit, and that's what I'm going to talk to y'all about today, the L.A. gang culture and uh, that checking in shit and how all that checking in go. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody on the West Coast talk about checking in and this, this, and the third, and people don't understand the, the street politics in Los Angeles, so that's what the fuck I'm going to give y'all right now. I'm going to break it down, I'm going to give y'all the history, and I'm going to bring it all the way up to current time. So let's get into it, right? So uh, the migration to uh, of black folks to Los Angeles started around 1890, right? So after uh, the emancipation, 1865, they freed the motherfucking slaves. Black folks in Louisiana, uh, especially Shreveport area, Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, they was like, all right, we getting the fuck out of these racist-ass towns, and we about to go out west. Fuck going up north to the industry, you know, the Pittsburghs, the Detroits, Ohio, shit like that. They went out west to the sun, you know what I'm saying? So they migrated to Los Angeles uh, around those times. Like I say, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. So they got out there to escape the, you know, religious, I mean, the uh, racial violence, the racial, you know, Violence and the, the, the persecution of black people, right? By the fucking Klan and all them niggas, right? So most of the, the niggas ended up in South Central L.A. Because California was still very segregated. It wasn't as racial as the South, but it was still very segregated. So a lot of them were, were relegated to South Central L.A., um, mostly uh, an area known as Watts, right? So Watts is a neighborhood in L.A., right? So they ended up there, and... But if you had some means, if you had a couple dollars, if your father was a priest, you know, a, a pastor, your mom was a nurse or a school teacher or something, then you could afford to move to the white suburb of Compton. I know we don't think, when you hear Compton, you don't think of it as a suburb, but that's what it was. That's really what it still is today, but it was all uh, an all-white suburb of Los Angeles. So, but a lot of black folks who had some money or gang money over time would leave Watts and move to Compton. So, you know, Watts was South Central LA and Watts projects, you know, blocks and blocks and rows and rows. But in Compton, motherfuckers got backyards, you know what I'm saying? They got three, four family homes type shit, you feel me? So they were a little more affluent, you know what I'm saying, over in Compton. But what happened when they got out there, white people didn't like them niggas being there. So they would harass the kids on the way to school. 
So the kids start forming little cliques or gangs, per se, to protect themselves going to and from school. This is where the gang culture came from in Los Angeles. It was a way to protect themselves from racist motherfuckers fucking with them on the way to school. Grown men would be beating up little kids and shit on their fucking way to school just because they moved in their neighborhood, right? So they formed up these little cliques to protect themselves going to and from school, right? Now, uh, it's important to know that these first former gangs were based off where you were from or what school you went to. That's going to be important later, so remember that. They were based off what neighborhoods you lived in, because like I say, they were protecting each other going to school. So you had to live on that block or in that area, or you had to go to that school. You couldn't be from another area and be in this crew in the beginning. That's how it started, right? So uh, it was strength in numbers, and they they did their thing. And it's uh, also a fun fact that the gangs in – Los Angeles and Chicago, they used to do security for Malcolm X and Martin Luther King when they would come and do speeches in town. Because you have to remember, the police hated these niggas. So when, you know, the Mega Evers and, you know, the Fred Hamptons, when they was moving around in the streets, they had gang members to protect them because the police wasn't going to provide them with no motherfucking protection. The police wanted them dead too, you know what I'm saying? So that's what these gangs would do. That's just a little fun fact for y'all, if you didn't know. Uh, so by the uh, by the time the 1960s rolled around, J. Edgar Hoover was sick and tired of the black power movement, and the FBI started killing everyone that he didn't like. If J. Edgar Hoover didn't like you, they was killing your motherfucking ass. We know Malcolm died February 1965, shortly after. Uh, the year after Malcolm died, the Sons of Malcolm was formed in Oakland, California in 1966 by Dr. Bobby, by Dr. Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, this group called the Sons of Malcolm, that same year they changed their name to the Black Panther Party. Their first initial name was the Sons of Malcolm because they followed that paradigm, that fearlessness. That's where they came from, and they started in Oakland, California. Uh, so Martin Luther King, he gets assassinated, 1968. Fred Hampton, 1969. So they're killing the leadership of these, you know, quote-unquote organizations or these gangs. They're killing all the black leaders. So what does that do? If you have all of these militant young black people following these groups and then you kill and lock up all the leaders, well, Aristotle told us that nature abhors a vacuum, right? So nature abhors a vacuum simply means that the universe hates empty space. Anytime there's a void, the universe will find something to fill that void, right? And that void created the perfect storm for what came next in 1969. And we about to get into it. So, like I said, before 1969, there were already gangs. They had already formed these gangs to protect themselves, right? But one such gang was called the Avenues, right? The Avenues were based off Central Avenue in L.A., that was their territory. That's where they were, Central Avenue, and they, their name was the Avenues. The leader's name was Craig Munson. Craig Munson had a little brother named Robert Munson who was best friends with a guy named Raymond Washington. Raymond Washington is probably the most important name you're going to need to remember. He's the most important figure of gang history in America, and you probably never heard of him until now. Raymond Washington, right? So Robert 
uh, Munson and Raymond Washington would hang out with Craig Munson and the Avenues. They would be uh, over there at their house lifting weights, you know, playing cards, playing dominoes, shit like that, right? So Raymond hung around with the Avenues so much, he started calling himself a baby Avenue. And Raymond was a known fighter in East L.A., he wasn't a very big guy, but he he was he was a known fearless guy because he would fight anybody. He didn't give a fuck how big you was, whatever. If you wanted that fade, Raymond was gonna give it to you. So he had a lot of respect, and he had a lot of younger kids uh, following him. Now, mind you, at this time, Raymond Washington is 16 years old, so he got a group of 14 and 15 year olds up under him, about 30 other kids following him. So once he started calling himself a Baby Avenue. These other kids start calling themselves Baby Avenues, and they start trying to dress like the Avenues. The Avenues patterned their uniform after the Black Panthers. So they all wanted to wear the dark dickies, the leather jackets, and the berets and shit like that. So the leader of the Avenues, Craig Munson, finds out that Raymond is claiming Baby Avenue. He don't like that because Raymond doesn't live off Central Ave. He lived five minutes away. So you didn't live in the Avenue's territory, so you can't be an Avenue. And you damn sure ain't no baby Avenue. You're not one of us, right? So he finds out that Raymond is basically false flagging, basically claiming a gang that you don't belong to. That's what false flagging means. So uh, he finds out that he's false flagging, and he checks him. So they over there at the house, lifting weights, fucking around. And he, he tell him, he was like, hey, bro. Raymond, you ain't no motherfucking baby avenue. Stop claiming that shit. Raymond, like, man, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm down. So Craig Munson slaps the shit out of him and embarrasses him in front of everybody. So that day in 1969 is the day that the Crips were born. The Crips were way before the Bloods, about four years before Bloods were thought of. It was the Crips. Raymond Washington left Craig Munson's house that day, went home and founded his own gang, and he called them the Crips, right? So there's some controversy about the first initial name. The Some people, you know, if you go back and listen to some of the elders, they'll say that it was Cribs, C-R-I-B-S, and others say, no, it ain't never been Cribs. It's always been Crips. The first time it uh, appeared in the newspaper was the Crips, C-R-I-P-S, right? So that's the group that Raymond Washington formed, right? So Raymond Washington instituted uh, a very strict dress code, dark khakis, bald head, uh, earring in the, left, in the left ear, and a leather jacket. But these are poor project kids. They can't afford leather jackets. So now he got 30 or 40 other little guys running behind him, and he's telling them, all right, listen, you got to shave off your head, shave your hair, get the earring in the left ear, wear the dark khaki, and you need a leather jacket. They're like, well, where the fuck is we going to get money for leather jackets? We're poor. So they would just start robbing people and jumping niggas for their leathers. Like I say, it's 40 of them. So that's what the Crips were first known for, jumping people for leather jackets so they could have the uniform. And like I say, they got their uniform from the Avenues, which got their uniform from the Black Panthers. So they're really emulating the Black Panthers unknowingly, right? So... That's what would happen. All through South Central, you would just see five or ten little niggas come through, and if you had a waist-length leather jacket, they was jumping you, taking your shit. And that's how they began to make their name for themselves. But what made the Crips different from other gangs was it didn't matter where you lived. 
See, all of these little kids lived in different areas, but they would meet up at this certain park in South Central. And then they would go back to their respective neighborhoods, and then they would recruit their brothers and cousins and homies and, oh, I, you know, I got a girlfriend that live over here. I'm going to recruit the niggas on her block. So now you got all of these people, you know, so that's what made them spread far and wide really fast. So the Crips started to gang a lot of fucking members, and they started to recruit heavily, right? So a lot of people falsely believe that Stanley Tukey Williams was a founder of the Crips. He was not. Stanley Tukey Williams was from Louisiana, born in Louisiana, and he moved to South Central L.A., and he was a West Side guy known for fighting just like Raymond was on the East Side. But Tukey was really, really big, and motherfuckers was scared of him, right? So after Tukey got out of jail for burglary, he met Raymond Washington at a park. I don't know the particular year. It happened sometime between 1969 and 1971 when this meeting happened. But they met at a park, and Raymond wanted Tukey to join because that would unify the east side and the west side. And he knew that Tukey was a fearless nigga, and he would get more recruits for the Crips. And Tukey wanted to join because he wanted to be a leader. He was like, I, you know, fuck it. As long as I get to be a boss, come on with it. So they both ganged. So they both ganged something from the unification. So they that's what they did. They joined the east side and the west side. Uh, Raymond Washington was the leader of the east side Crips. Tukey and a guy named Bulldog were the leader of the west side Crips. And just like Raymond thought, Tukey went over there and recruited more and more niggas, you know what I'm saying, to the gang, right? So... After this, so after the east side and the west side join, now it's about six different Crip hoods, right? It's the east side Crips, the west side Crips, the Inglewood Crips, Avalon Garden, 104th Street, and the Compton Crips. Because like I say, people were going back to where they lived and just recruiting members, right? <clears throat> So they took L.A. by storm, and they would swallow up smaller gangs. So there were already gangs that existed, and they would just go up to these gangs, and they would say this one, Crip or what? And that basically meant get down or lay down, right? Hey, so now whatever gang you are, let's say y'all called the ABC. Well, now y'all the ABC Crips, or we about to demolish y'all. So motherfuckers just start throwing Crip at the end of their gang. This was a good thing for membership, but it was a bad thing because they were recruiting. They were taking over every gangs. So they were taking over gangs that didn't like each other already. ABC don't like 123, but now you just turn ABC into Crips and 123 into Crips. So now you have infighting within your organization, and that's going to come to a head eventually. But in the beginning, like I say, it was just all about the numbers, right? So they took L.A. by storm. Uh, <clears throat> while this was going on, there were some gangs that were saying, fuck the Crips. Like, who is these little niggas running around? Fuck these little niggas. We ain't, hell no. Who is the, you know what I'm saying? We've been doing this shit. Fuck these little niggas, right? And those gangs are going to become anti-Crip gangs. But I'll get back to that in a second, right? So as members came, kids would uh, jump you for your leathers, right? They was rushing niggas for their motherfucking leather coats. March 21st, 1972, the Crips became infamous, right? After a Curtis Mayfield co uh, concert at the Hollywood Palladium, 20 Crips 
jumped a guy for his leather coat. In this jumping, 16-year-old guy named Robert Ballou, who was the son of an attorney in Los Angeles, ended up getting stumped to death. They stumped this nigga to death for his motherfucking coat, and the next day, they're in the newspaper. Curtis Mayfield is in there. The Crips is in there. Hollywood Palladium. So now, everybody knows the Crips' name. The All the police in California know their name. All the fucking teachers know the Crips. So when they go back to school, oh, you claiming this Crips shit, y'all the ones who killed that boy. The fucking firefighters, the nurses, the doctors, but all the kids know who these motherfuckers are too. So... They're intrigued. Oh, these niggas is, 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 is them guys. They out here doing shit. So that made membership swell even more. Motherfuckers joined either out of dick sucking or out of fear. I'm scared of y'all because there's so many of y'all and y'all so ruthless. Or I want to be down with the new pop and click. And that's what made membership swell, right? So around 1972, uh, Raymond Washington goes to prison for robbery. While he's in prison, he did more recruiting. At first, the Muslims tried to stop it. They was like, hey, little nigga, you ain't coming on this yard with this bullshit. But because Raymond was such a charismatic guy and because people in the prison had heard about the Crips on the news and read about them in the newspaper, they were, you know, attracted to it. So he's recruiting in prison. So you got guys from all over California in prison, and now they're becoming Crips. And when they get out, they're taking Crippin', that's what it became known as, Crippin'. They they took Crippin' back to their neighborhood. So again, 1972, Crips membership grows even more, right? It's just exponential fucking growth, right? But like I say, a lot of gangs didn't like how these niggas was moving. And these gangs became rivals to the Crips, right? So... Uh, some of these gangs were the Brims, the Denver Langs, the Bishops, Athens Park, Bounty Hunters, the Parus, and the Black P-Stones. These were the first anti-Crip gangs, the first gangs to say, hey, fuck what these niggas is doing. Fuck this uh, earring and this left ear and these khakis and this leather jacket. These niggas on some bullshit, right? So the West Side Crips end up killing a guy named Donnell Tatum. He was a member of the Swamp Boys. This happened April 19, 1972. He was 15 years old. <clears throat> May 20th, 1972, uh, in Inglewood, Douglas Green, a member of the Chang Gang, was killed by the Crips. At this point, anti-Crip gangs were sick of these niggas. The Crips were so deep and so ruthless that other gangs started breaking in houses to steal guns just to fight these niggas. Because you got to remember, this is 1972. Motherfuckers is walking around with little knives and bats and chains. Ain't nobody got no guns. So they would just break in, you know, the, the old nigga house next door who go hunting and steal his little twenty two rifle or, you know, steal their mama's thirty eight or some shit like that to protect themselves against the motherfucking Crips, right? June 5th, 1972, Frederick Little Country Garrett was killed by the Crips. He was a brim, right? And he was a known... Little Country was one of them guys. He, he was a brim gangbanger already, and he gets into it with this Crip guy and about a girl. And uh, they, get, they, they got into it, and they, they shot Little Country, right? Uh, 
once they do this, the Brims is like, hey, fuck this. It's it, it it's up with these niggas now, right? That incident happens, but also another uh, incident happened in 1972. Billy Flowers got into an altercation with a guy named Jody Crawford from the Jordan Downs. Now, the Jordan Downs had recently become Crips at this time in 1972. Billy and the guy got into it, and uh, Billy tells Jody, hey, I'm about to go to my car get my pistol. Jody already got his motherfucking gun. Pops Billy, kills him. Now... This is 1972. The Crips are just taking over, but his mother, Billy Flowers' mother, didn't understand just how serious this shit had become. So she took his body to the funeral home on Firestone. Well, the funeral home on Firestone is directly across the street from the Jordan Down Projects, where the niggas from who just killed him. The niggas in the uh, Jordan Downs find out that his body is in there they run in the fucking funeral home and flip the casket over. These niggas is going crazy, right? So his mom calls up some niggas from Piru. The Piru niggas called the Brim niggas that little country just got killed uh, at. And there's some dispute about where this meeting happened, whether this meeting happened in jail or on the streets. I don't know for sure. But sometime in 1972, a meeting was had. Um... The Compton Pie Rules, the Brims, the Bishops, the Mad Swans, Athens Park, Bounty Hunters, and the Black Peastones came together to form what is known as the Blood Alliance. They called it the actual Blood Alliance. Basically, we gonna ride and die together. These niggas is coming in our neighborhoods, doing all this fuck shit, and we need to stick together. Anytime one of us fight, all of us fight. This became the Blood Alliance. The original members of the Blood Alliance were, again, the Compton Pyrules, the Brims, the Bishops, Mad Swans, Athens Park, Bounty Hunters, and the Black Peastones, right? So after the Blood Alliance, the Crips stopped calling themselves, they stopped using the word blood because in the 70s, that's how everybody talked. What up, young blood? Hey, blood. Whoop. So that's why it became the Blood Alliance, right? And that term goes back to Vietnam, but I ain't going to get into that. I can if y'all want me to at a later date. But blood. Hey, young blood. Hey, what you know good, blood? You know what I'm saying? Talking like that. Everybody said blood back then, even the Crips. But once they formed the Blood Alliance, that word now became disrespectful to Crips because that's how these uh, gangs or these that's how these anti-Crip gangs understood who was her friend, right? And to know that, so all of the, the Brams, the Pyros, all these, they're from different areas in South Central LA. So they would wear red to know, all right, them niggas is friends. So I could go over here, them niggas got on red. These other niggas got on blue. We formed a blood alliance. So now I'm not moving through my neighborhood, but I'm moving through another friendly neighborhood because they got on what I got on. You know, uh, and I'm going to get into the colors in a second, right? <clears throat> so... Uh, like I say, after the Blood Alliance, Crip, Crips no longer said blood. They, uh, Crips still to this day refer to each other as cuz or loke. And, uh, the Bloods, they say blood. They say dog. Damu, D-A-M-U, which is Swahili for blood, or they call, uh, roosters, right? So, because roosters are red. So the beef escalated quickly once the Bloods were formed, right? You, you now have 56 Crip sets, and they these gangs, it was so many, 
that they start beefing with each other. Like I say, ABC Crips don't like one, two, three Crips, right? So one of the oldest Crip Crip on Crip rivalries is between the eight Trey Gangster Crips and the Rolling Sixty Neighborhood Crips. This is one of the oldest motherfucking rivalries, right? So let me tell you how this happened. So because at, at first they were crew, they was they was they was tight, they was you know they, they was together. Uh, so what happened was the A Trey uh nigga was fucking this, uh, was fucking with this chick at her house. Her brothers was rolling sixties. At the time they're cool, but this ain't got nothing to do with oh you from a different hood. This is more you fucking with my little sister, and they didn't like that. So they end up beating the nigga ass and throwing him in the garbage can, right? <laughs> this nigga goes back, get his homies, like, hey, yo, these niggas just beat my ass and, uh, you know, threw me in the motherfucking garbage can. So they call a meeting. Gangs call a lot of meetings, right? So they call a meeting at a park. At this meeting, they fighting one-on-one. Well, the eight tray nigga, the, the eight tray nigga is losing. He's losing the one-on-one. The, the 60 nigga who just put this nigga in the garbage can is winning the fight. The A-Trays had just recruited a new member, and this new member didn't understand the rules that, like, all right, if he lose, he just lose. So my man upped the burner and shot the 60 nigga, killed him, and shot another nigga. So everybody dispersed. The 60s go to the A-Trays neighborhood a couple days later, like, hey, give me the shooter. We don't want to all our war with y'all niggas. Just give up the nigga who killed blood, right? Who killed who who killed the old boy. They don't know him for real because he's a new member and he's gone. They can't find him. So they don't turn him over. And when they don't turn him over, they look at it as disrespect, right? The 60s like, oh, y'all niggas want to play. All right, cool. So uh that meeting becomes a big gang fight. And after that day. They were mortal enemies. That happened in 1970 uh, sometime. And they've been mortal enemies since that day, right? Another uh, fucked up incident between the A-Trays and the, uh, the, the 60s. Uh, it happened, uh, it was a guy named Joker, right? Now, Joker... A uh, guy named Joker. He was an A-Trey member, right? So Joker is at a store in his neighborhood. And a guy named Mumbles walks in the store. So when the guy walks in, he got on all blue and shit. So he, you know, Joker hit him with the, what up, cuz? And uh, Mumbles hit him with the with the 60s shit. Like, yeah, woo, 60s. And Joker is mental, basically. He's 18, and he's just itching to kill. And, and, you know, by his own account, he's like, that's the worst thing that he could have said to me. So he went outside, got his gun, and waited for Mumbles to come outside. When Mumbles came outside, he shot him five times in the chest. Killed him. Killed the Rolling 60 nigga, right? So he leaves, and he goes into hiding. Well, four days later, the 60s go to Joker's house, knock on his front door. Joker's little brother comes to the door. They kill him. His mother is in the kitchen. She comes. She hears the shot, runs to the front door. They kill her. Joker is picked up and arrested about three days after this, so he couldn't even attend their funeral. 
he gets a life sentence for killing Mumbles. He recently just got out in like like 2021 or some shit like that. But this just fueled that eight tray rolling 60 crip on crip war, right? So by uh 1972, uh there were 32 gang members, th- gang murders, right? Mind you, this shit just happened. This shit it's unheard of. This gang shit is taking South Central LA by storm. Don't nobody know what the fuck is going on with these kids. Raymond Washington is still in jail and his gang has spiraled out of control. He's hearing about the things that's going on with his gang and he don't like it because he come from a fighting era. He like, I don't know where all this killing shit come from, right? So 1972, all of these Crip on Crip murders, you know, the Crip and blood now murders. So it's 32 gang murders that year. So when when Raymond gets out of jail, he denounces the gang. The 16-year-old nigga who started the shit gets out. He's 20-something now. Gets a motherfucking job, and he's like, I'm, I'm done gangbanging. Well, in 1976, uh, in front of his girlfriend's house, someone killed Raymond and is believed to be other Crip members. And no one knows why, and no one has ever been arrested for this. Uh, L.A. invented the drive-by. L.A. gangs invented the motherfucking drive-by. They was the first niggas to just ride by, spraying some shit up. Raymond Washington was killed in the drive-by, right? So once the drive-by was invented, so did the innocent bystander because now you got a bunch of niggas with these guns that don't know what the fuck they doing. And they just shooting indiscriminately and they killing a lot of uh, innocent people. Well, one of the first murders, now imagine, motherfuckers was getting shot in drive-bys, but one of the first drive-by murders happened to be at a guy named T. Rogers' house. Now, T. Rogers uh, was a blood, right? Black P-Stone, founder of the Black P-Stones from Chicago, where they originated from, the move to L.A., founder of the Black P-Stone Bloods in L.A., right? Uh, after school, him and his bloods is in front of the house. Some Crips ride by, spray the shit up. His little partner get killed. I think his partner was like 14 or 15 years old. Gets killed. First drive-by murder in L.A. T. Rogers said he had to go to that boy's house and tell his family that, yeah, your son just got killed in the drive-by at my house. And in his mind, he's like, they looking at me like, well, who the fuck are you? You know what I'm saying? Like, nigga, well, my son got killed at your house. What the fuck you got going on? And that's what really turned him into an assassin. And he became a crypt killer at that moment, right? He was notorious through L.A. And if you remember the movie Colors, T. Rogers was actually in the movie Colors. Like I say, so he his life, he spent his life killing crips and going in and out of jail and shit like that. But then, you know, he smartened up around his 30s and became an anti-gang activist. So if you look up T. Rogers right now, he died a couple years ago uh, for, for some, un, you know, he was, he was an old man when he died. He was on the A&E documentaries about the Bloods and the Crips and all that shit. So if you look up T. Rogers, you'll, you'll, you'll find him. But like I said, he was in the movie Colors, and he spent his elderly years like Tukey did being an anti-gang activist and trying to keep young black kids out of all the shit that they created, right? So, boom, this is 1979, right? Well, in the 1980s, two things happened, crack and hip-hop. I'm about to bring this up to contemporary times. I had to give you that history to give you what's going on with the shit right now today. 
So crack and hip hop uh, became a thing in the 80s. And we know, you know, crack started in L.A. with Free Ray Ricky Ross. You know what I'm saying? He was the first nigga in the United States selling crack, right? So, and he's from L.A. You know what I'm saying? So the allure of fast money turned on these poor gangbangers into entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs. And now the disputes for territory are becoming even more deadly. Now there are clear defined lines and boundaries that you do not cross. This is Blase Split neighborhood. This is Bounty Hunter neighborhood. This is 60 neighborhood. And now we'll kill you about these streets and these lines because this is where we make our money. You know what I'm saying? So different sets start going to war over territory. Uh, those lines st are still there today. The Bloods had a very strong alliance up until the year 2000. From the beginning, Crips been killing Crips. Bloods have never beefed with Bloods until the year 2000. I'm going to get to that in a second when I get there. I'm in the 80s right now. But before 2000, a Blood could go to any other Blood neighborhood and be okay. They didn't beef. If a blood from over here died, bloods from all over other sets would come and attend a funeral. You know what I'm saying? Crips did not do this because they started off beefing with each other. Right? But now that everybody was making money, there was no more just shotguns and 38s because everybody's a drug dealer now. So now you got the, the funds to buy any fucking gun you want. So now you got AKs, Uzis, MAC-10s, 9s, gang banging had went into fucking overdrive, right? So while this is happening, hip-hop is taking off. You know, Run DMC, 1984, LL Cool J, 1985, Salt and Pepper, 1986, Heavy D, 1987, right? As hip-hop is taking off, all East Coast artists are the only ones being taken serious. You got to be from New York in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? They didn't give a fuck about nobody else in the beginning. You had to be from New York. You had to be on Def Jam. That was it. You know what I'm saying? Right? Def Jam ruled the fucking world as far as as far as rap was concerned, right? So when these rappers would go on tour, they would get these big deals and they would go on tour and they would come out to the West Coast and do their shows. Well, Too Short, MC Hammer, and NWA were just opening acts for these niggas. They used to open up for LL and Heavy D and Salt and Pepper. They was big in their areas, but mainstream, ain't nobody know who the fuck Too Short was. They wasn't playing motherfucking Ice-T on the radio after he made Cop Killer. They wasn't playing N.W.A. on the radio after they made Fuck the Police. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so the L, the New York niggas is going all through the South. They wasn't fucking with Ghetto Boys and uh, UGK. Them niggas ain't, ain't never been as big as LL. They ain't never been as big as Salt and Pepper and Heavy D. They wasn't getting those type of tours. So the motherfucking West Coast niggas was like, hey, when these niggas come out here, it ain't sweet. You know what I'm saying? They coming out here to do shows and, you know, fuck with the models and do photo shoots and go shopping. But we got to let them know that shit ain't sweet out here. They got to check the fuck in. You know what I'm saying? They, they better know somebody who's from out here. You can't just come the fuck out here, right? So that became the beginning of the extortion play. Oh, you want to come out here and make your money? You want to come out here and do shows? You want to come out here and get modeling deals and all of that and, and be in movies, Beat Street and Crush Groove and all that, which is filmed in L.A.? Well, y'all niggas got to start hitting them motherfucking pockets to the gangs in L.A. And 
uh, there's there's some controversy when it comes to this as far as like checking in and shit like that. They're like, well, why do they only do it to black people? The same way Chinese only do it to Chinese people. The same way the mafia in New York only did it to Italian people. The same way the Russians do it to Russians. The same way the Koreans do it to Koreans. If you go to Chinatown in any any place uh, in the country, the triads are there. That's a Chinese gang. They extort the fucking massage lady, the Chinese food place, the cleaners, the fucking Koreans extort the laundromat, the Italian mob extorted every fucking body. That's just what it is. It's the cost of doing business. Like uh, Dawg said on American Gangster, it's peace of mind. Well, I, I don't feel so peaceful. So motherfuckers was paying for their peace of mind when they came out to L.A. If you want to move through these L.A. streets safely, you're going to pay somebody out here to make sure that you're safe. And the motherfucker that you pay better be official because his ass could be on the menu too. You know what I'm saying? So at this time, there were over 100 street gangs, uh, and these East Coast artists was uh, getting the fuck extorted because they didn't understand the politics, right? So boom. No one has seen this level of organization since the mafia. They didn't understand that these street gangs had a hierarchy and that they followed it like, like an army. Or like a like a drug cartel, the fucking you know El Chapo and them. Them niggas got a whole army. Well, so do the Bloods and the Crips. They got whole armies and whole fucking platoons of soldiers that follow motherfucking orders. And New York motherfuckers didn't understand this, so that's why in the beginning them niggas was lunch meat, right? So in 1990, the West Coast gets their first big artist, MC Hammer, a nigga from Oakland, right? Uh, I know you don't have to argue. I know Ice T was first, NWA, too short. They were already out. None of them niggas was as big as MC Hammer. Your mama know who MC Hammer is. Your mama was looking at them gazelles and that motherfucking S curl and them parachute pants, singing every motherfucking word. Everybody Hammer was all over the place. He he was in in 1990 what all rappers are trying to be right now. He was commercial. This nigga was selling Pepsi. This nigga was selling cereal. He had a Saturday morning cartoon with the fucking dancing shoes on the music notes. This nigga was a superhero, all type of shit, right? But motherfucker saw that and forgot that, one, Hammer is a nigga from Oakland who grew up boxing, and his brother is a real gangster. Now, there are no bloods and crips that originate from Oakland. Uh, maybe that's because of the, the Panthers' influence, but no, I'm not saying none, don't none live there, but there are no gang sets from Oakland, Bloods or Crips, which is why you never heard Two Shorts claiming none of that shit, you know what I'm saying, because he's from Oakland, he's from the Bay Area. They don't bang B's and C's, they got, they bang neighborhoods out there. It's a rapper named Filthy Rich, he's from, uh, he's from Oakland. All you hear him say is Seminary. That's his area. That's his neighborhood. But they're not Bloods and Crips. But Hammer is from Oakland. Uh, the streets of motherfucking Oakland. His brother is a killer from Oakland. All the them hundreds of niggas that Hammer used to run with were killers. Were drug dealers that he was trying to save and take off the streets. Which is why didn't nobody play with Hammer. Hammer ain't never been punked to this day. Niggas don't fuck with him. You know what I'm saying? He had to take a couple niggas and let niggas know, listen, I'm not sweet. Don't let these gazelles and these parachute pants fool you. You know what I'm saying? But the nigga, he had many famous beef. And motherfuckers forget that Hammer signed to Death Row. Like, and he was one of the tough niggas on Death Row. He wasn't a ham. You know what I'm saying? 
So, boom, you had Hammer. 1992, Death Row hits the scene, right? We all know the line that they was pushing. Now, Death Row is a very unique label because Death Row was run by Blood, the mob, M-O-B, Pyrus, mob, Pyrus, which is why Pac used to always scream, M-O-B, you know what I'm saying? That's mob, Pyru. But all of the artists were Crips from Long Beach. Long Beach, Gangsta Crips, you know what I'm saying? LBC, Snoop, Daz, Corrupt. Every artist was a motherfucking Crip. But the management and the ownership was Bloods. Harry O, Bounty Hunters, and uh, the nigga who funded the Death Row, and Suge with the Mob Pyrus. Now, let me tell you another fun fact. When... Uh, when Pac first got to L.A., when he got out of jail and he first got to got out to L.A., we all know Suge got him out. He was fucking with Big Sight and the Outlaws, right? They went through a couple different ads, but they finally landed on the Outlaws. Well, Big Sight is a crip. All them Outlaw niggas is crips. That's probably who Pac should have stayed with. So... He got to fucking with Suge and them heavy, you know what I'm saying? And all Buntry, all them niggas, hit all them niggas is real OG Paru blood niggas, you know what I'm saying? That was behind Suge. Them niggas was running through L.A. They was pressing everything in Compton, you know what I'm saying? And Sh- and Pop, you know, enamored by this shit and just, you know, M-O-B, man, you know, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of people just thinking he's saying mob, mob, mob. Like, no, he is set tripping. You know what I'm saying? He's letting the whole world know I'm banging it with these blood niggas. You know what I'm saying? Which is why Big Psych uh, wasn't on the the other album. You know what I'm saying? After All Eyes on Me, he wasn't on Machiavelli. You know what I'm saying? Because they had fell out after All Eyes on Me. He quit fucking with them niggas and now he's just M-O-B, right? He probably should have stayed with Big Psych. He probably would still be alive. But anyway, so boom, uh, he get to fucking with 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 uh, with the with the mob. We all know what's going on right now with the Keefy D. If you don't know, Tupac was killed by a nigga named Baby Lane, Orlando Anderson. Uh, the nigga he jumped in the hotel on video. Well, that nigga was a real killer, and he really killed him. So he shot Pac. That night, after all the shit, you know what I'm saying, in the car with Keefe D, Orlando Anderson, Baby Lane, shoot Pac, and then they, in Las Vegas, and then they go back to L.A. Well, remember, Pac was in a coma for, for a couple of days. He didn't die immediately. When Baby Lane, Orlando Anderson, gets back to Compton, he's telling everybody that he just shot Tupac. He's telling anybody who will listen, all the bitches in the hood, oh, yeah, I'll just put your man in the spittle, blah, 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 blah. couple days later, Pac dies. Now he stops talking. You know what I'm saying? Because now it's not just, oh, I shot a nigga. Now it's a murder. So he stops talking. The Compton police already know what you did. Motherfuckers are not already told. Compton police told the Las Vegas police, we know who your shooter is. Orlando Anderson, Baby Lane. Well, the following year, Baby Lane gets killed in a shootout in Compton. That's why no one was ever arrested until Keefe D start writing books and doing interviews and i'll talk about that on another episode if y'all like me too but i'm about to get back to this so boom the checking in shit like i say the mafia did it ms-13 and the fucking mexicans do it the koreans do it you know what i'm saying japanese do it 
Italians, every group of people does it, right? It's a problem with, you know, it's cool when they do it. It's a problem when I do it, right, type shit. So uh, if you're around Southern California, that's just what the fuck it is, right? And Shaq found out the hard way when he uh, in 96 when he got traded to the Lakers. Leaves Orlando, goes to the Lakers. He's moving around L.A. He gets robbed. After that, he like, fuck this. I got to tap in with some niggas. Well, the niggas he tap in with were are known as the Main Street Crips, right? He gets to running with the uh, Main Street Crips. Two of his closest homies in the Main Street Crips are a nigga named Dale Dog and a nigga named Stutterbox. These is like his right-hand men. Now, the Main Street Crip niggas, they're from L.A., so they already tapped into entertainment, tapped into extortion, tapped into drugs. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of street shit, right? So when 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 Shaq come along, that she, uh, Shaq like, uh, hey, listen, I can help y'all in the entertainment space because not only am I playing basketball, he got a record label. Remember, Shaq dropped the album, and he was in movies. He like, I can help y'all with y'all entertainment shit. Y'all hold me down on the protection. Quid pro quo. They did it, right? Him and Dale Dog is clicked tight, though. You know what I'm saying? Shaq and Dale Dog really, really close. Stutterbox, they close, but some bullshit happened, right? So, boom. Uh, Stutterbox, this is after some years. Stutterbox gets the feeling like Shaq owe him some money. Like, where that bread at? Woo, woo. You know what I'm saying? Shaq like, nigga, I ain't giving you no more money. I done already funded the documentary. You know what I'm saying? Made y'all niggas with some connections. Woo, I ain't giving you no more bread, right? So, Stutterbox, like, nigga, one, I'm going to tell your motherfucking wife you out here fucking all these hoes. I'm going to expose you to your wife. And two, nigga, I got a tape of your wife getting down. Sex tape. He tells Shaq, like, hey, I'll put this motherfucking tape out. You don't run that bread. Shaq make the call to Dale, dog. Hey, yo, bro talking about he going to do this. Stutterbox talking about he going to do this, this, that, and the third if I don't give him this money. Dale, dog, is torn. Do I listen to my my crip homie or do I listen to the bag? What do you think he did? He listened to the bag, right? So Dale Dog gets six other crip niggas and they kidnap Stutterbox. Kidnap him, beat his ass, try to get the tape. They don't get the tape. They end up letting the nigga go. They ain't going to kill him because that's his man. They beat the shit out the nigga, let the nigga go, right? He goes straight to the motherfucking police station and tell all his homies. <laughs> He telling all this, still bloody, still with the cuts on him. Didn't clean up nothing. Same day, go straight to the police. Hey, these niggas just fucked me up. I know all of them. It was blah, 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 right? At the same time, the Main Street Crips are under investigation by the feds. They got calls. They've been tapping these niggas' phone. They got Shaq on the motherfucking calls. Tied up in this Main Street Crip indictment. They pick the niggas up for the assault. They pick Shaq up, too. Somehow, they come up out of it. Right? I don't know who paid who. I wasn't there. They come up out of it, of all of it, right? And boom, after that, we hear, oh, shit, Shaq and Kobe having some issues, blah, blah, blah. Shaq goes to Miami and becomes a fucking police sheriff. Ducks the federal indictment that the Main Street Crips got after he went to Miami. So the the consensus in L.A. is he didn't have no beef with Kobe that it would make him leap. No, he had beef with the motherfucking Main Street Crips 
and he was about to get indicted. And that's why he got the fuck up out of L.A. and went down to Florida and became a motherfucking sheriff. Now, like I say, the Main Street Crips still got into some shit with the feds and all this, this, that, and the third. Uh, but, you know, don't nobody give a fuck about the niggas, right? So, boom. That's one That's one incident. Another, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard moved to L.A. in the 90s and started running with the Mansfield Gangster Crips. But it didn't work out for him either, right? So, Terrence violated the rules, right? He found out that one of his uh, fellow members was about to kill a nigga from the schoolyard Crips. He go. He knows the guy, so he goes and he tell him, "Hey, yo, these niggas trying to slide on you. You know what I'm saying? Lay low. They don't end up killing me, but they find out Terrence's gang, the Mansfield Crips. They find out that he told the nigga, so they DP him. A DP is discipline. You know what I'm saying? Basically, you gotta take this ass beating. You know what I'm saying? Or you got to go at one minute, 30 seconds, three minutes against you and, like, five niggas. You know what I'm saying? Take this beating, right? So they DP the nigga, right? Two weeks later, he's walking, and he gets caught. Terrence Howard is walking, and some niggas whip down on him. Some ops from another hood whip down on him. Pole to his head, about to kill him. The same nigga that he saved that told they was going to come kill him, gets out the car and saves his life. The same nigga he saved two weeks earlier saved him that day. And that day, Terrence Howard quit gangbanging and said, I'm going to focus on acting and became the actor that we know now. D.L. Hughley. D.L. Hughley is from 135th in Avalon, born and raised out there. He's a Paru, right? Him and... uh, him and uh, Kendrick Lamar are from the same neighborhood. They're the same type of bloods, right? So uh, he's a 135th Paru, 135th in Avalon, right? So his cousin, D.L. Hughley's cousin, is from another gang, a gang called the Hoovers out in L.A. They're not bloods or crips. They're called the Hoover Criminals. They wear the Houston Astros hat, uh, orange and blue all the time, right? So D.L. Hughley's cousin is a Hoover. His cousin gets killed by a blood. Since DL is a blood, he can't go to his favorite cousin's funeral because them niggas will kill you at the funeral because you're a blood, and the blood just killed this man. So he, because he couldn't attend his favorite cousin's funeral because of the gang shit, he said that's when he decided to step away and focus on his comedy. Now, fast forward to current times, right, and the current checking in situations. Many rappers in the recent years have fallen victim to these motherfucking, to not understanding the street politics in L.A., right? Not just going out there thinking shit sweet. We know Biggie died out there. Biggie was running around with fucking Lil C's and some bitches doing radio shows, you know, doing all these interviews just freely like L.A. is sweet. Because of the palm trees and the knife weather and the ocean views and shit. But some other motherfuckers that done fell victim to the shit. Uh, Cash Doll was uh, robbed of some jury, like 500000 in jury. T Grizzly's house got broken into a million dollars worth of jury. Sauce Walker got robbed out there. Waco the Kid. Uh, Drake Home was robbed. Rich the Kid. Meg the Stallion. Bootsy was robbed out there. And we all know Pop Smoke. You know what I'm saying? Pop Smoke was out in L.A. Got killed at the Airbnb, fucking with some bitches, right? 
See, and this is the thing about bitches in L.A. They're affiliated. If they're not, they're most a lot of them are direct members. They're actual gang members, right? In the gang, Bloods or Crips. But if not, guess what? Her brother is. Her cousin is. Her baby daddy is. Her ex is. Her uncles is. Her daddy is. So, yes, this badass model bitch grew up in the hood and will line your ass up for her brother or her baby daddy, X, Y, Z type shit. And, you know, that's believed to what happened to Pop Smoke. But the reason that I wanted to do this episode was because of the shit that happened to PNB Rock. You know, Pop Smoke shit was sad. It was super unfortunate. But I had an unfortunate experience of seeing the fucking video of PNB Rock laying on that motherfucking floor at that Waffle House. And this brother was a Muslim. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <clears throat> so that just fucked me up. So that's what made me want to do this episode so motherfuckers could understand that, one, Southern California is a very fucking dangerous place right now to this day. Don't go. Do not go. It's other places in California to go. You do not need to be in Southern California right now. If you see what's going on with all the motherfucking snatching grabs where they just running in the motherfucking stores, running out there with shit, they robbing every fucking thing. And it's been like that, you know, since the PPP dried up. It was like that before, then the PPP came and it slowed down, but now that all that money gone, them niggas is frustrated and poor. You have no business down there. You know what I'm saying? In Southern California. There's other very beautiful places in California you can go. Go to the Bay. Go to San Francisco. You know, it's raggedy, but, you know, go to, you know, shit, go to Malibu. <clears throat> San Diego's still too close to L.A. But uh, Pop Smoke, it was four motherfuckers that killed him, right? The youngest was 15 years old. The youngest nigga, it was a 15-year-old nigga, 17, 18, and a 19. The 15-year-old nigga got four years. He'll be home when he's 20. Pop had on, they got a $50,000 watch off the nigga wrist. They sold the watch for $3,000. Like, niggas is so fucked up out there that they don't even know what they got. You know, you just killed this nigga. Like I said, the little nigga got four years for for the full body. Four motherfucking years. He about to be right back out here killing shit. You know what I'm saying? Because he it ain't like he he learned his lesson. No, he about to come back out to the same motherfucking street, same niggas in the same fucked up predicament. You feel me? So you got you got to be careful out there. We all seen what happened to Nip. Now, Nip wasn't a robbery situation, but it was a politics situation. You know what I'm saying? It's but the nigga who killed Nipples in his own gang, another 60. You know, politics. Draco the ruler. You may not have heard of him, but he was the next up-and-coming motherfucker out of out of California. He was the next biggest thing. He was beefing. Draco the ruler was a crip. Beefing with some blood niggas in Inglewood. He ended up, uh, they had a like a like a summer jam, but it was in L.A., whatever L.A. called a summer jam type thing. But it's all California artists, and they brought them all in. Draco gets there early. Well, he only there with a handful of his guys, like maybe five or six. 
it's a hundred bloods in here. And he been dissing these niggas, smoking on their homies, and you know, woo. He's he's never coming back, taunting these niggas. Well, now you surrounded by him, and you don't got no weapons. This nigga and his his whole little squad get rushed. This nigga end up getting stabbed in the neck, killed this nigga. Politics. You know what I'm saying? The niggas who killed Draco, that's who YG be with right now. Uh, Slim 400. Another up-and-coming rapper out of L.A. got murdered. You know what I'm saying? It's it's The politics out there is fucking insane, and you really need to understand it. And so this is what I'm going to say about this color shit, right? Uh, motherfuckers thinking they're trivializing it, right? Or they're oversimplifying. Oh, they're killing each other over red and blue. No. 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 That's like saying... The fucking the United States in in Afghanistan is killing each other over each other's flags. Nah, nigga, fuck the flags. That's just a piece of cloth. That don't matter. We killing each other because of our differences. The fucking flags is just how we show affiliation. I got this uniform so my niggas know this is us. You got that uniform so you can know that it's not about the colors because they don't even color bang in L.A. anymore. I'm gonna tell you how they bang. You don't see. Niggas running around. You don't see blood niggas running around with a bunch of red on. You don't see crip niggas running around with a bunch of blue on. Why? Because that's how you get hit with a gang injunction. That's how you get another 30 years added to your sentence, which is what they started doing in the 90s. Hitting it, putting them niggas on the gang injunction. Oh, you're doing this for furtherance of your neighborhood. Boom. Now there's three. It's 33. We're going to enhance it by 30 years because you're doing this in furtherance of the gang. And if you look up pictures of Nip, Nip used to wear all red all the motherfucking time. They don't color bang. You know what I'm saying? They're about money. Gang banging is big business. A lot of y'all may not know that. But along with robbery and extortion, you have drug trafficking, arms trafficking. They sell guns. Uh, prostitution. That's a very big thing in, in California. Bitches be on the blade selling that thing. You know what I'm saying? And they got gangbangers as their pimps, as their protection. You know what I'm saying? These is our hoes. This is our strip. Come through, buy this thing, get the fuck on. You know what I'm saying? The gangs in L.A. are plugged in with the cartels in Mexico. They move a lot of drugs. They move a lot of weapons. So it's not just the extortion, right? So as far as criminal organization goes, the Bloods and the Crips outshine other organizations, the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, a criminal uh, organization said to be worth about $1.1 billion, Hells Angels. That's how much criminal activity they're involved in, $1.1 billion. Hezbollah, a fucking terrorist group in the Middle East, said to be worth $1.6 billion. The Crips said to be worth around $2.3 billion. The Bloods, around six, uh, $3.6 billion. Like I say, gang banking is serious fucking business. These niggas is not out here just dying and killing over uh, two colors in a crayon box. That's an oversimplification. And that's not understanding the politics, and that's how motherfuckers get caught slipping when they go to L.A. 
because they don't understand what the fuck is going on. They don't understand how to move. So maybe now you'll know. Or you'll just stay the fuck from out of there like I'm telling y'all to. But at least now you got some information. Right? So <clears throat> instead of colors, instead of color banging, oh, I got on all red, I'm a blood, I got on all blue, I'm a crib. No, that's not how they bang. They bang, they show affiliation with their hats, right? So, I'm going to tell you some hats to stay away from if you're in L.A. Do not wear these hats anywhere in Southern California. I'm telling you, I'm going to say it again. Do not wear any of these hats in Southern California. If you wear one of these hats in the wrong area, it will cost you your life. Here we go. Houston Astros. Hoovers. They're not Bloods or Crips. They're Hoovers. Michigan. The Michigan hat. Main Street Crips. Milwaukee Brewers. Rolling 40 Crips. Florida Marlins hat. Rolling 50 Crips. The Phillies or the Pirates. Paru. Cincinnati Red, Cedar Block Pyro. New York Yankees, Nutty Block Crips, Kansas City Royals, Kitchen Crips, Los Angeles Angels, Athens Park Bloods, Chicago White Sox, South Lost 13, or the Rolling 60s where that had as well. St. Louis Cardinals, Black Peastone Bloods. San Francisco 49ers, Family Swan Bloods. Oakland A's, Avalon Gangster Crips. Texas Rangers, 8 Trey Gangster Crips. Seattle Mariners, y'all know Nip used to wear that hat a lot. Rolling 60 Crips. North Carolina Tar Heels, Neighborhood Crips. Boston Red Sox, Brims. The Detroit D, they're the Duroc Crips or the Five Deuce Hoovers, wear those. And the Minnesota Twins is the Crenshaw Mafia Bloods. Now, there are more, but those are the main ones. There are more. The real I'm going to tell you, really, the only <laughs> safe hat to wear in L.A. is the L.A. hat. The one with the L and the A. That's no game. That's why you always see Ice Cube wear it. And you never see Ice Cube in colors. Every time you see Ice Cube, what he got on? All black. Ice Cube is from a Crip neighborhood. He's, he's from the same neighborhood as Dub C, but he grew up privileged and not gangbanging. Every time, Mac-10 would be on the stage with Red because he's a Queen Street blood. Dub C would be on the motherfucking stage in blue. I forget what kind of Crip he is, but he's a Crip. And... Ice Cube would be on that motherfucker right in the middle with all black with an L.A. hat on. The Los Angeles Dodgers hat is the only safe hat to wear in L.A. It shows no affiliation. Wear black. <laughs> so let me tell y'all this. Uh, now let me give you, so I'm going to give y'all a couple more things, right? Uh, let me tell you how the neighborhoods break down, right? 
because blood and crip are umbrella terms. There are gangs up under that umbrella, right? So, uh, y'all remember that scene on Training Day, right? Oh, and I forgot to tell y'all this. If you see a movie shot in an L.A. neighborhood, that movie paid to be there. They paid a fee to shoot that film in that area. Friday, I rode past the little house. They painted the house. It's not the same color, but they got the house and Stanley House next door. They paid that gang to shoot that scene in that area. Boys in the hood. They paid that gang to shoot that scene in that area. You remember on training day when uh, Denzel said, oh, we going into the jungle. Don't come in here without me. And you see all the blood niggas around. And then they walking up to the street, uh, walking up, and he said, what up, Bone? Well, Bone is the actual blood. He's a real blood. He's not an actor. That's really his neighborhood. Bone is from Athens Park Bloods, but that area, the jungle, is the Black Peastone Bloods. They paid Athens Park and the Peastones to shoot that scene in that fucking neighborhood. So the extortion is real, and everybody knows about it, and everybody obliges because you want your camera crew to go home safely. You want your actors to make it home safely. You want to shoot your fucking scenes and get the fuck on safely. So you can't go out there and disregard the rules. Like they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Well, when L.A., you got to follow their fucking rules or it's costing niggas their lives. Niggas are dying out there. Left and fucking right. So you either going to abide by the rules or don't go. It's really that simple. And that's why I'm doing this episode. Hopefully, I help some of y'all niggas, right? So let me tell y'all how the gangs break down. Like I say, blood and crip are umbrella terms. There are gangs up under those umbrellas, right? So this is how it go, and I'm going to give y'all a perfect example. Nipsey Hussle. So Nipsey Hussle is a crip. Where was Nipsey Hussle from? Well, where was the store? On Crenshaw and Slauson. That's his area, Crenshaw and Slauson. He's from, you ask him where he's from, he's going to say, I'm from 60s, or I'm from Crenshaw. Crenshaw and Slauson is his neighborhood. What's his gang? Rolling 60s. That's his set or gang. Now, what's his affiliation? Neighborhood. What type of crip are you? I'm a neighborhood crip. I'm a gangster crip. I only know those two on the crip side because of reasons. Uh, I don't know that much about that side. So, uh, I know the neighborhood Crips, and they're allied with other neighborhood Crip gangs. They don't like gangster Crips. That's their enemy, the gangster Crips. So, like I said, again, Nipsey's from, he's a Crip, from Crenshaw and Slauson. His set, Rolling 60s, his affiliation, neighborhood. Another example, the game. The game is a blood. Where is he from? Treetop or the trees. They call this area treetop or the trees because all the streets are named after trees. Pine, oak, maple, acacia. You know what I'm saying? They're named after trees. So that's his area. The trees. Where you at? I'm in the trees. Where you at? I'm in the 60s. That's how they talk in L.A. Where you at? I'm in the hunters. Where you at? I'm in the 50s. 
they would say where they are based on the gang in that area. That's how you navigate L.A. I'm in this gang. I'm in this territory. I'm in that territory. So if you nigga say, where you at? I'm in the trees. You're in the treetop area. What's his set? Cedar Block. Cincinnati Reds. Remember Cincinnati Reds, the red hat with the C. He's from Cedar Block. What's his affiliation? Paru. Again, the game. He's a blood from the trees. His gang is Cedar Block. His affiliation is Paru. The game and DJ Quick are from the same neighborhood. They both treetop Paru's. Right? Now, the affiliation, like I said, the gangster crips and the neighborhood crips. Now, the affiliation on the blood side, I know a little bit more about that. You have the Paru's, you have the Brims, you have the neighborhoods, and you have the insanes. Ask me why they call it the insane, and I'll be here all night. <clears throat> so, now let me give you some known members from each gang, and then I'm going to get up out of here because I've been talking long enough. So, let me give you some known members starting with the Crips. Known Crip members, of course, Snoop, probably the most famous gang banger on the planet. The most famous gang member we anybody knows, Snoop Dogg, right? You have Pop Smoke, Nipsey Hussle. A lot of people don't know this, but Dave East is a Crip. Five-year-old foreign. Blueface, we all know. Uh, NLE Chopper. 42 Doug. Vezo. Bobby Smurda. Ice-T. Dub C. Easy e And Big Sight. There are more. Again, I don't know them niggas like that. <clears throat> now, Bloods, on the blood side, right? You have Lil Wayne, Ray J. Ray J is an actual Paru, a real fucking gang member. Like, no cap, you know what I mean? The Game, Jim Jones, Mac-10, Kendrick Lamar, Young M.A., Y&W Melly, WAC 100, Mozzie, ESTG, Trippy Red, Chris Brown, <coughs> Extortion, Soldier Boy, <coughs> Extortion, YG, Gucci Man, Sexy Red, DJ Quick, Bone, the guy from Training Day, uh, and Nick Cannon. Now, I'm going to give you all this, too. Nick Cannon, as corny as people say he is, don't nobody play with him. Nowhere. Do you want to know why? Because his father founded a gang called the Lincoln Park Bloods. And them niggas are killers. Nick grew up in this. His father had him at a young age. His, fa- his mother and father were still in high school when they had Nick. Nick was at their graduation. He was already born. That's how young they were when they had him. He attended his mother and father's graduation. And his father founded a notorious blood gang. Killed a couple niggas, changed his life around. But them blood niggas is still there. They all work for Nick Cannon. That's why nobody messes with Nick Cannon. I bet you didn't know that. But yeah, hopefully this can help y'all navigate the motherfucking L.A. streets. I'm glad to be motherfucking back. Thank y'all for tuning in. And like I said before, a lot of y'all are talented, but not like this. Voila.